it's hard not to, you know, headbang just a little bit with that song. It is pretty headbanging song. We are live. We're uh, here in the storms of Georgia on a Friday afternoon. And we're going to hear more from the so-called warriors on the disinformation front lines and some ESG pressure in Georgia. You're watching the Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley here with Cam Harless, co-host of the Mad Ones podcast to help me out again today. And I was going to try and wear at the suggestion of Dana from Voter GA my really tight army green shirt in honor of Vladimir Zelensky and his wife, the royalty. I guess I would have had to find a, a Ukrainian woman as well to <laughs> pose with the very dramatic photos. I'm a little bit sick and tired of seeing w- what's basically now royalty with Vladimir, Zel- Vladimir Zelensky. And I guess his wife now is going to be a prominent figure. Um, she's good looking. I'll give him that. But I'm a little <laughs> sick and tired of seeing these two all over the news. So anyway, we talked yesterday a little bit about ESG. Talked a lot about ESG in the past couple of months because that's the way they're trying to establish this new world order, in a sense, through Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset. They want it to operate through the corporations based on social credit scores from the corporations top down all the way down to the employees and then the greater society around them. And how Governor DeSantis in Florida is making battling these ESG corporations part of his platform, I believe, moving forward as he is probably going to run for president in 2024. And we also showed some woke army commercials, which are an example of this type of ESG action by an organization. There was a story in the AJC last night that fits into this parameters, ESG-like stories. And the headline is this. It's big Georgia companies keep mum after divisive abortion ruling. And so these ESG stories, anytime they have one of these really divisive stories in the news, these this is an opportunity for corporations to either show their allegiance to the ESG or not. And if they don't, they then in turn get pressured because they want everybody to take a political position in this new world. You, you have to make it known where you stand on issues because that's how they control things is, is through these divisive issues. And, and then the subheadline of this article says the silence of, of the big companies suggests that companies fear being drawn into divisive debate over abortion rights and uh, angering their customers. And they go on to say that they contacted George's Fortune 500 companies for comment after the U.S. Supreme Court ended the constitutional protections for abortion. That's how the article writes it back in June. And they contacted them again last week after a federal court upheld Georgia's law that prohibits most abortions after a doctor can detect fetal cardiac activity. Of the 19 Georgia-based employers in the Fortune 500 list, they, 18 of them did not comment, including such household names as Coca-Cola, Home Depot, UPS, and Delta Airlines. And to that, I would say... Good. You know, not that I necessarily love those companies or that those are the best companies because they definitely do some woke stuff every now and then, but good. If the AJC calls your company and they try and force you into a position on some political subject and you don't want to politicize your company, then then tell them that the only thing that needs to be aborted is the AJC and they're questioning about this because this is what th- these companies do. It's what the media is doing. It's what Klaus Schwab and all of them want to be done. They want to pressure all of these companies into taking a position. The AJC, I, I go into deep detail on this in a I think it's an XR. Maybe I'll release this on the on the DMB at some point in the next couple of weeks where I show exactly how the AJC is controlled by the Google News Initiative and other globalist operations and how they are right in line, in lockstep with this globalist agenda. So it's no surprise that they are 
calling companies right after these convers- right after these issues come up and trying to force them into taking a stand on whether or not they are ESG and try, trying to prove, because this is the way they prove it. They have to be, quote, transparent about it. So you have to make a virtue signaling statement that shows where you stand, and then you have to put policies in that show that you are moving forward on that in order to get that bump on your ESG score and maybe access to some of that BlackRock ESG investing money, which is how they control all of this stuff. It, the article goes on to say, my notes here. Okay, the article <laughs> goes on to say that there is one company that did comment. It's a Sandy Springs-based packaging company, uh, Vertiviv, that said that it's reviewing its healthcare policies and it's committed to ensuring that quality access to reproductive healthcare for their employees uh, nationwide, including Georgia, are available. And then it says that the entertainment giants with Georgia's within Georgia's major operations, including Comcast, Disney, Meta, Netflix, and CNN, they announced changes to their health plans in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling, and that Dick's Sporting Goods and Kroger, one of the largest grocers in Georgia, also made similar announcements to expanding access to abortion rights. But still, the vast majority of companies in Georgia and elsewhere have remained mum. See, they write that. The way they write that, it's as though that's wrong. Like, like yeah. it's wrong for you companies not to take a position on this. It's not like they're even coming out against it. They're, they're, not, they're not saying we hate or, or we, we, we don't want anybody who ever has even thought about abortion working here. They, they don't do that. They don't do that. They just say nothing, and they act like that's a bad thing. It's a wrong thing. It's not. It's perfectly fine to not be political. But in this communist-like society they want to create, and that's what Vladimir Lenin did when he wanted to make sure everything could be politicized so that they could then take over and control everything, is everything has to be political because if everything's political, then you have a, le- a lever there that you can then divide society with. If everything is controversial and everybody is outraged by everything all the freaking time, it's annoying and I'm sick of it. <laughs> and you can see that this is ESG too because of who they quote in this article. The article talks about a survey done by a place called the Conference Board, uh, which their survey found that only 10% of U.S. corporations had responded or planned to respond with public statements, even though 61% had taken a public stance on racial equality. So they're finding the parameters at which companies are willing to take a stand on, which issues they will talk about, which ones they won't, and then they want to push it forward. And the the company, the guy who runs the company, his name is – this guy's name – Washington – something Washington. His name is, oh, I thought that's a first not name. Not George Washington. Definitely not George <laughs> Washington. His last, oh, Paul Washington. And, and he's the executive director of the conference board's ESG center. They have a freaking ESG center like everywhere now. And he said that uh, abortion is the most divisive and difficult to find a common ground on. And there's also a less direct role that companies can seize in contrast to racial and gender equality, which they can address through hiring and procurement. And that's another aspect of the ESG, the internal aspect of it, is they have to hire and they have to put people in certain positions that uh, you know meets the standards according to the ESG overlords. And they say there isn't a single right answer for companies to take a stand or not. In some cases, it may backfire to... Um, to take a public stance, and it may be more powerful to place a call to the governor, which I'm not quite sure what he means by that, but then he says, pressure to address these and other social issues is unlikely to abate, and he's right about that, because they're not going to stop doing that, because this is how they force they force a reality into being when they can't technically do it through a constitution. This is a subversion tactic using this stuff, and I like to point it out, because I think the more people are aware of it, then the more people can resist those companies, they can you know, just not not shop there. And then their entire reliance, because they know that they 
isolate their customers and they push them away when they take some of these ESG measures. And they know they're going to get money to overcompensate that from BlackRock and these other, other places. But sometimes that's not enough because the whole, the whole power that they have through these global corporations is the influence that these corporations have. Their influence spans nations. They go global. That's why they focus on the biggest ones. So the more boycotting people do of these companies, while it also hurts their bottom line, it weakens their influence. And that's where they're going to lose all their power is when the influence of these corporations is taken away. And that's all. I'm going to say about that, because that stuff can get me really fired up, almost like uh, a Vogue photo shoot of Vladimir Zelensky embracing his wife in the midst of other soldiers. What kind of photo shoot is that, by the way? I don't know if you saw that image. Did you see my tweet about it? No, I didn't. Uh, my tweet was, I, re- I retweeted the photos, and I said, the, the new agitprop romance has dropped. Oh, because that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it, what is. it is. Totally. That's a great way to put it. Okay. So I had to get that story uh, out of the way there because I like to highlight those. So we were talking yesterday about these disinformation frontline warriors from this panel discussion. I can't remember what the actual conference was, but the panel discussion was called the front lines of the disinformation war. And they were talking about the mimetic war and how they're focusing in on that. And this is, these were professors from Harvard and can't remember the corporations that they were CEOs of. You know what? I'm going to play that initial clip again, where he introduces who they were just to give you guys context. And then I want to pick up where we left off because we were really getting into some good stuff when we ran out of time yesterday. So here's the first clip again, of them introducing who these people are. So we know exactly who it is that we're dealing with when they're talking about this war on disinformation. And obviously when they say disinformation, they're talking about people who believe that the 2020 election wasn't the greatest election on God's green earth. You know, there's been, if you don't believe that, that it was blessed by the Lord himself or whoever they worship, then you are a disinformation expert. So that's the type of disinformation, the way that they classify it anyway. Here's that introductory clip. Seventy percent of American Republican voters think that 2020, as we sit here, 70 percent of American Republican voters think that 2020 presidential election was a fraud. Thirty percent of those people believe that top Democrats are actually involved in a child sex trafficking ring. In the world's most advanced democracy, people have lost the ability to tell truth from fantasy our information environment is rapidly approaching the tipping point that authoritarian propagandists will have longed to to create, which is where the majority of people believe that everything is possible and nothing is true. Luckily for democracy, some motivated, brilliant people are pushing back by, among other things, analyzing the spreaders of hatred and propaganda, anticipating where they're likely to strike next, and identifying the disinformation before it can do any harm. That's really the front lines of the fight against disinformation, and three of the most skilled fighters are right here with us on this stage. Now, just to make sure that you know who is who, I'm Eric Schoenberg, the former CEO of Inc. and Fast Company. To my left is Joan Donovan, the research director of the Shorenstein Center at the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, Anya Kerr, co-founder of Kinzen, which is headquartered right here in Dublin. And Lyric Jane, the founder of Logically, headquartered in London. Okay, so that's who they are. And I, I pointed out yesterday, 
the Shorenstein Center at Harvard, their role in all of this, they played a major role in the whole fake news thing. You can watch yesterday's show if uh, you haven't seen that yet. But now I want to pick out where we left off. Where? Go ahead, Cam. I was just going to say, before we get into the serious business, I, I, I did ask people to make memes. And oh, I have right. a slideshow of the ones that were submitted. And I thought, hey, let's let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. So that Put them up there briefly. To and- this woman. Totally. And I'll describe what they are for those who have audio only. We have, if you haven't seen it, we have the woman who she looks like Alex Jones if he overdosed <laughs> on estrogen. And it says, the target of our meme war. And, and that's just a very serious face on that. These are all very, these are all very funny. I encourage you to, <laughs> ma- encourage you to uh, check out the, the video version of this. It's on Twitter or YouTube. The, yeah, this will be on Twitter or YouTube as well. Let's, let's see what the next one is there. Oh, wait. So okay, this is my go. submission. Camp submission has this woman's head being kicked by a soccer player. Yeah. Because I said yesterday that her head is so round that she, someone could use it as a ball. And I was like, let's just make that happen. Well, that's, that's very, um, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be very painful when he lands that blow there. All right, let's see the next one. This one says, they tell us we are facing a global food supply crisis problem or solution. Potato, potato. And that is a submission from Stella. Stella and that's very, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> And it says, when you don't have to worry about reducing the population by 90% because you ate them already. Again, uh, it's Ashley's submission. And this woman is, I'm not going to say she could be on a TLC show, but she could possibly be on, on a TLC show. I don't want to be too mean, <laughs> but she's, it's one of these things where it's like a Stacey Abrams type person where they're just begging you to criticize them in their presentation of themselves. She looks like she owns so many cats, Brad. Oh, I'm certain that she. Uh, what, dude, where do you hear what she's going to say in this in these next clips? Like, if you're gonna, <laughs> she talks. I think she even said she might even say that she owns cats. Actually, uh, one more from Ashley, and then let, let's move into the clips after this one. Um, it says when you want to end the memes, but you s- settle for eating them. That is Ashley's second and submission. Very funny. That's the last one. And finally, Stella's last submission. We must get on top of this mimetic warfare and crush it. And then she is literally. On top of the mimetic warfare, she looks like a sea monster in this one. It's Jabba the Hutt's body. Ja- oh, Jabba the Hutt! There you go. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but yes, that's hilarious. Fantastic <laughs> stuff there. That's great. All right, so let's get into the clips here of that woman. That's so. Welcome funny. to our panel. That's such a fun thing how it starts like that. Is that the? Okay, here. No, that's the wrong. I think this is the wrong clip here. It's frontline. This one. There we go. All right, here we go. Um, Which was interesting because these accounts weren't necessarily pro-Trump. But in 2020, you have... She's talking about... She's comparing the disinformation from 2016, which right before this, they basically talk about how, you know, Russia did everything in 20... They just propagate the lie about Russia from 2016, just blatantly. And now she's talking about the differences between then and 2020 when it comes to disinformation. What happened to the audio here? Why is it doing this? You've got to be kidding me. I did this yesterday, too. Put this in, and then it just goes away. All right, I'm going to take this out again, and I'm going to put the clip back in like we did yesterday. <laughs> StreamYard is letting me down here when it comes to adding those clips in. It usually is pretty easy. I don't know what the deal is with them. But, Cam, go ahead and fill the space for a minute while I find this clip, if you got right. anything. Well, well, since we showed those memes, <clears throat> excuse me, I want 
to continue to um, invite you guys to do more creative endeavors, especially visual mediums, so that we can share them with people. Because what's better than an audience that interacts and makes things as well and is creative? So if you make memes, if you draw things, send it to us, especially in, on Locals or on Twitter, and we will we'll, we'll shout you out if there's a good space for it. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I, I love that idea. I love seeing the artwork and stuff that everybody makes. It's awesome. And videos. And here we go. We got it back here, I believe. Hopefully the audience um, is There we go. Which was interesting because these accounts weren't necessarily pro-Trump. But in 2020, you have all these mainstream actors doing all of the same shenanigans using their real names. And that's where you see these massive deplatformings happen after the Capitol riots on January 6th. And... There is an unprecedented memory hole that has been lost to internet history as a result of these platforms deciding that they're going to take this content down, which on the one hand is a good thing. On the other hand, it's far too late. The riots already happened. And then as researchers or uh, companies that are trying to make sense of how these bad actors coordinate, we're left really trying to cobble things together uh, in a very unscientific and almost scavenger-like way. I thought that was interesting, and I'm still processing how I, I feel about what she's saying that, but she's right in the fact that by eliminating those accounts that they call disinformation, that they did kind of memory hole it by just taking all of that stuff off. But what that enabled them to do, and we saw a lot of this, is they could take stuff down, like they could remove all of Alex Jones stuff, or they could remove all of whoever stuff. And of course, they can put it back on other sites or whatever. But then the media can claim that they said something that they didn't actually say. Yeah. And people will just believe them because there's no way until they put it up on another site. And even then, it's harder to get that information to the same group of people. They can't disprove it. Because everything has been removed. So the, the memory hole can work in their favor and that they can just make up history. And we actually see this happening and uh, a trend going on in the news reporting. And I saw this before this happened in a Rockfin video, it might even have been a year ago or so now, where the Council on Foreign Relations, one of these guys who worked in multiple administrations as like in the Defense Department, and he his entire life he's been in government, and CFR, Brookings Institute, all those things, he's like a staple on all of these panel discussions. He was talking about how the media, basically what they need to do is they just need to go back and start retroactively correcting their stories you know quietly like historically instead of m making announcements about corrections and stuff like that because they made so many obvious mistakes it was in the context of a conversation about all the mistakes the media has made that, that have been proven to be false and the recommendation was to just retroactively or in the yeah just in the aftermath go back and and fix old stories and what that results in is if the washington post or somebody lies about something and you recognize their lie, and you say, hey, remember when the Washington Post lied about this? And then you go find that article, and what you find is that they have removed all evidence of the lie, and they have just changed it to the correct story, and you can't find it anymore because there's no issue correct. It doesn't show what they previously said. So they removed the, the, the correction aspect and just corrected it 
eliminating the history of their lie. So basically you have to screenshot everything at this point, and then that could be called a deep fake. So there's an there's a effort ongoing, and I see this, this is happening right now, where they will go back and change their stories without telling people, and then when you say, hey, they lied, and you go back and find the story, it's like, wait a minute, what happened? It's because they changed it. And, I, and I've seen... I've seen these reporters talking about doing this on, you know, interviews on MSNBC, just kind of very subtly, as though it's a is the right thing to do. It's really extraordinary to me that they're basically erasing, they're they're memory holding their own lies under the guise of, yeah, we're just trying to correct the story. Can't hear you. Uh, Sorry, I was typing. I was typing a tweet to get people to come into the YouTube side of things. Um, no, but isn't memory holding a phrase borrowed from Orwell? I think it might be. I think um, it might so be me, in 1984. I think you're right about that. Let, let, let me make sure um, because I, I believe that's where that came from. Uh, yes, 1984, the, party, the party's ministry of truth, memory hold things. So that's an incredible thing to notice in what she said because she told us exactly – what playbook that they're ascribing not to themselves memory holding people, but what allegedly the other people are doing, right? Yep. And so it's it's it, it's it's this. Uh, so no, wait, what is it? Uh, I know you are, but what am I? That's what this. That's what that that's is. what all of this stuff is. Yeah, it's a great way and to it's, describe it. It's it's so absolutely ridiculous. But um, and you heard what she said there too. It leaves them to cobble together information so cobbling together information and this is the evidence that they're putting forward as to disinformation is they're cobbled together information that by their audiences are just believed because they say i'm a harvard professor the reality is they're the ones in on creating a lot of this dis and misinformation nobody likes cobbled together information you know unless you're part of the january 6th committee (laughs) then you know cobbled together fantasy fiction is exactly what they want. And that, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. The cobbled together evidence is not really evidence. And she continues, and this might be the clip where she talks about children. I'm not sure. She talks about her dislike of children. which her dislike <laughs> of children? Yes, she does. It's, well, I, I think mean, it's she's, in this clip. I guess she's a little better than the rest of them then because the other ones like children way too much. They really love, yeah, that's exactly right. It's a good point. <laughs> All right, here we go. I don't know how much time is in these clips in between. This is all about how do we all play our part to amplify quality news and information and mitigate the bad. So the platforms have a role. They need to continue to invest in it. There's a role for quality journalism. How do we make sure it is our quality news sources? We saw the Reuters report. She's talking about solutions. Published yesterday. We are in a moment of massive mistrust in our organizations. That clip, that's that's why I brought this clip in, because of that thing that she pointed out there. Every single one of these panel discussions, every single one at Davos, it was in the title of like 12 Davos panel discussions, but they mentioned it in every single one of them. They know that we don't trust them, and I keep emphasizing right. this because I think this is a good thing. They want yeah. people to believe that they, ha- they, it, they can't do these things without people trusting them because it all depends on coor- coor- you know, coor- coercing people through manipulation deceitfully. Not it, It's either lying to us or they have to just force it you know, 
you know, militarily. And I don't think that's going to work because there's a lot more of us than there are of them. So they know that they need people to trust them in order to manipulate them and bring forward this great reset new reality that they want to bring forward. And they know that people don't like them. And so they're trying to come up with these new ways to get people to believe them. And I mention this all the time. And they try and, like I said in the show the other day, ideally, they would have your grandmother or somebody that you think is really, really attractive and you're mesmerized by giving you their propaganda information because those are the people that you're you know, going to be most vulnerable to being manipulated to. Honeypots. Not that your grandmother's a honeypot, but you oh, know what I mean. my grandmother's a honeypot. I, you know, I, don't wanna, I didn't want to say. I've seen her. <laughs> but that's what they want to do. They want to do this manipulation from the ground up, and they know, that they're, they, ha- they, know they have to do this because we don't believe them. So I'll let the clip continue. Let me me just say that I love these clips because, for one, these people are so absolutely detestable that it's incredible. Um, But beyond that, um, there is real beauty to the fact that they are trying their best to not tell that they've been defeated in this area by laying out exactly how they've been defeated. And I just, right. I just love that that dichotomy of them trying to look like experts and extremely smart people that you can listen totally. to and trust when they're telling you, no one trusts us. It's right. This, it's it, beautiful. It, yeah. And they're trying to master trust. It's like, like I mentioned yesterday, the brain initiative where they're trying to map all the neurons in the human brain, the, a program Obama started. I don't know if it's still going on right now. It might be. But it's something that it just, just doesn't seem like they're going to be able to do. But they want to master control over human beings. And this is another angle of that. They want to master trust to be able to get unlimited trust without question, even though they know that nobody, nobody trusts them at all right now. Massive yeah. mistrust in our organizations. How are we going to rebuild that trust with the public, the citizens, that journalists are here to serve? When we look to our schools and academics and, and libraries, how do we teach news literacy so that children go into these platforms? Misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, unfortunately, is always going to exist. We have to get better at preventative measures, being proactive and reactive, but it is human nature. You are just simply going to have people who spew misinformation, disinformation for financial gain. It could be psychological gain. Sometimes people are seeking this weird sense of connection by spewing this BS online. So how do we, we've inoculated our kids against COVID with a vaccine. How are we going to inoculate our kids when it comes to misinformation in this moment of an infodemic? So so in this moment of an infodemic, Can we get a, a Operation Warp Speed for inoculating people against what they call disinformation? That to me. So this is one of those. We have a comment here saying Megyn Kelly circa 2003 referring to this woman. If She's a, a blonde, pretty, has a flowery dress on, looks just like a nice lady. And she's saying detestable things. And that's the best way to say detestable things is through very nice looking ladies and very flowery dresses, which they're, they're doing here. But that idea, and I've heard this not just from her, I've heard this from other of these quote experts before too, inoculate people from disinformation, which is just kind of an extraordinary statement. You could go a lot of ways yeah. with that, but removing information before preemptively stopping these things, this is all dependent on the red flags that they create about what bad quote bad information is. And this is the woman who yesterday, who she her company what they're doing with her company is they're basically they say you can't we can't track information with just humans there's too much of it and ai isn't human enough in order to track it although i'd say humans and ai is the way that the people are being turned into just mp3s through the media are, are starting to become indistinguishable in some ways but 
they want to they're creating like cyborg like approaches yeah human computer approaches to stopping disinformation so she wants to preemptively stop it using this ai technology that her company is developing yeah well and and i want you to pay attention to the fact that she used the word inoculate as if disinformation or whatever is a disease it is an infection. It is something yeah. much like COVID, which we just got out of, is something that needs to be destroyed and inoculated against. And just think about who talked about because this goes, this doesn't go just to the information. It goes to the people who spread the information. Well, it we are speaks, the virus. We're the virus exactly. to be inoculated against. Right. And who else spoke up in that way about people being viruses or other things that should be terminated? Yeah, whenever you I'm bring Hitler into a conversation, that's a but yeah. So I was any, actually thinking Stalin, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any dictator that that's a, that's you know I I made fun of playbook yesterday. Everybody's got a playbook, but that is the authoritarian dictator pre- playbook. Is the yep. enemy is vermin who must be exterminated because they need to dehumanize them. And I bring this book up all the time. Uh, propaganda in World War. Harold Laswell dissects all these propaganda tactics and, and lays this stuff out in a it's an entertaining way to read it but also it's very insightful and eye-opening so check that book out if you if you like and yeah, bill gates also he loves to inoculate people from things and let's see what she has to say that they're do- practicing critical thinking skills so we've all take of that, that to do second, when it comes to misinformation in this moment of an infodemic so that they're do- practicing critical thinking skills so we've all of that to do but then we have to look at research like joan has talked about stuff being deleted, stuff being removed, and what is there for academics, academia to learn from? So you look in Brussels today, we have a, a, code, a, a code of practice on disinformation that platforms are signing up for, that companies like Kinzen are signing up for. And in that code, we are now all accountable to empowering fact checkers as one thing, but also empowering researchers. So there has to be more of this collaborative effort now to understand what work by the platforms is working, are takedowns working? Is it labeling? Is it providing a shelf that's showing you all of the different points of view? Is it showing up to their house and threatening them at gunpoint? What is working to get people to shut up right now? I don't know who on, in the world, unless you're just getting paid obscene amounts of money, would want to label themselves a fact checker. You know, you at a bar, right. maybe you, you want to go introduce yourself to somebody you're attracted to. You know, what do you do? I'm a fact checker. I don't know who would really want to do that. These are the most repulsive people because the way that fact checks have been weaponized. Well, and don't you remember fact checking didn't used to be what it is now. Before, it was someone that worked on journalists' articles to make sure that what they're saying wasn't made up, right? Or if yeah. someone wrote, wrote a book, they, they fact checked the stories, unlike that um, – that one book about like a million pieces or something where a guy made up the whole thing. He made up the whole thing and he became really famous and was like on Oprah yeah, or something. Jonathan <laughs> Franzen, I want to say his name was. Yeah. Um, but that's what that used to be. And now it's something that you can't speak without being fact-checked, which is so dystopian, which is It's so just ironic, too, that Snopes is like the most popular fact-checker that I hear people cite that all the time, my progressive friends. And I'm just like, don't you know, like Snopes is the worst. They're so bad. It's just so terrible. It's just so freaking Soviet. And and the reason why I mentioned who, who does this sound like wasn't to make a connection 
to Hitler or Stalin in reality. It was to point out that this is a very fascist way of viewing things. Yeah. And this is what we're dealing with. People will call it communism all day, but this is corporate, big time corporate fascism. It really is. It, yeah. When you have the people who are like the revolutionaries and revolting when they're al aligning with the big corporations and also, they somehow think that they're the counter revolution, it's. Also, how can we talk? How can they talk about everyone on the right who is evil and is a domestic terrorist? Uh, and they'll they'll cite January 6th. But someone just recently tried to assassinate a Supreme Court justice, Brett Kavanaugh. And several years ago, a guy took a a, a gun to a, a a baseball game, at the congressional baseball game, Steve which is Khalees. tonight, by the way. That's tonight, and they're urging people to stay away from it, and not protest it. Yeah. So, how are we talking about this being a, a right problem? There, this is a problem all around. They know. I mean, they know this though. This is whole part of the authoritarian approach, the playbook, if you will, right. that you're well, and, talking about there, the Soviet -like playbook. And that's what what Whip says. They they are literally war planners, uh, stating out loud the needed adjustments in their ongoing fifth gen war against us, while saying it's to help us. Yep. That's why there are people shooting it at Rand Paul, or his right. Neighbor they feel like it's over. morally justified, and they that that is a trend that I I've noticed this when it comes to the the propaganda of it is. We have it was a little bit slow and subtle through the pandemic, and especially the past I would say year, it's become a little bit more blatant in that. It's not just that we're delivering propaganda anymore. It's that we're obviously telling you fake made-up stories. And I'm speaking yeah. specifically about the Ukraine stories of the yeah. ghost of Kiev or Kiev, yeah. depending on whatever your pronunciation of that yep. is. Uh, and where he took down all of these Russian fighters. And then the story uh, on the island where the Ukrainians said F you and then apparently got slaughtered, which was not right. true. We were told those stories. Those stories were shared by official Ukrainian accounts. They were shared by all of our mainstream media. And then once we discovered, you know, they're pretty obvious, obviously not true, just the way they told them. They're sensational. Yeah. Again, Edward Bernays book, page 76, Public Opinion. Or it's either Public Opinion or Public Relations is the name. Uh, one of those books is written by um, Walter Littman. I can't remember which. But he talks about how Americans during World War I were bamboozled by the fake made-up stories him and his buddy made, and he boasts about it laughingly, and how they were ticked off when they found out in the aftermath that they were all lies. These people yeah. are shameless about this, and those stories were made up, and what we got from the media in the aftermath was, yes, those stories weren't true, but here's why it's okay that they weren't true and why we told them to you, because we're fighting on the side of good, we're fighting for yeah. democracy, and it's morally mm -hmm. correct and right to lie to you because we're fighting against the evil dictator. So there's been this progression of normal Normalizing lying and making it okay as long as you can rationalize to yourself that you are you have the moral high ground and right. it, they're they used to just be them doing that right now they're trying to turn in all of their listeners and followers and readers into little propaganda agents on the street who yeah. also believe it's okay to lie yeah not just propaganda agents but shock troops that, yeah. like this snake is, island that's right snake island yeah what, what you have to look at with this is they are not pointing the gun at themselves they're they're making us point the guns at each other which is why like conversations about boogaloo and stuff like that uh, i i like to say hey you know let's let's slow our roll because you're saying hey we're going to be in a, a civil war and i'm going to shoot people who your neighbor down the street who disagrees with you yeah, the guy that you 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 help 
the old man you you help take his trash out really consider what you're saying before you say it um but one thing that you said it reminded me of a c.s lewis quote um which i'm if you're cool i want to read this it's one of my yeah, favorite quotes from the man uh, he wrote, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons and under omnipotent moral busybodies than omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Yep. That's a great quote, and that's exactly it. They think they know Oof. better. Yeah, they do I, it was know a better. show that. What is this show? It's that that show that they they were just bashing on in the media with um, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, the Terminal List. I was watching that, which is okay. Hmm. It's not bad. It's okay because it's just. I, I would honestly, I think Kiefer Sutherland is. I know people who've worked with him, and he's like a crazy alcoholic. Which some of the stories are hilarious that you hear about him. But twenty four, <laughs> I think, of is him like jumping into a. Uh, Christmas tree. Yes, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. He's just an out of control, but that's why he's able to play Jack Bauer so perfectly. Is because he's just (laughs) off the rails. So I would, it it would have been like Jack Bauer playing this character would have been more interesting to me. But he does, he does a pretty good job of it. But part of the the story in it is is that it's we're doing this for your own good. Yes, people are going to die, but that's okay because what we do is going to save lives. We think in the end, it's just it's the whole same argument we see, and they do it in a fiction. Uh, apparently a fiction on television when we kind of, they have that same mentality in real life. And let's let her, let's let Megan Kelly from 2003 finish what she's saying here. <laughs> what isn't working. And that's where critically we have to support people like Joan in their work. So they understand the levers to pull what's working, what's not working in this massive moment of a wicked problem. Okay. So yeah, she's talking there about the solutions and which what works, what doesn't. They're going to trial and experiment and media literacy, stuff like that, which their version of media literacy right now is here is your, here's what, who you need to trust. You should trust these main sources, and here's why you shouldn't trust anybody that's not a certified source. That's ba- they don't, it's not critical analysis and questioning that they focus on. It's sources that can be trusted and that, and that cannot be trusted in their critical um, literacy stuff. I've, gone, I've done some of the trainings that they give out online. It's pretty extraordinary how stupid and dumbifying it is. If that's even a word, dumbifying, I'm not sure. <laughs> I have an idea for a sketch now that we, we, we should work on. All right, what is but it? I won't tell people what it is. I have an idea for a sketch <laughs> for you that you that we should do and insert in the show at some point. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later on. All right. Let's do. Uh, let's see what the next clip is. Then we'll uh, move this over to the DMB XR, the exclusive portion of the show, which will be streamed, continue to be streamed live on Rockfin at Rockfin.com/slash/PropagandaReport, and you can also get access to at Patreon.com/slash/PropagandaReport if you want to get that full XR exclusive content that we do every time that we do a drive time news blast. All right. So here's the final clip that we will go through today. I have a little tree image of a forest that I put up in between the clips. I don't know how long they are. And when we talk about, and this is cringy because I'm a lesbian. I don't really like, like kids at all. What? But that's the one. (laughs) What? You? That is the one that I wanted to hear your reaction to right there. Let's start that one over. This is great. I I did a double take on this one too. This is the woman from the Harvard Shorenstein Center. The one that we read all the memes about earlier. So if, <laughs> if we seemed bad with some of the memes by making fun of her appearance, which, you know, uh, um, this is the woman who we were talking about. 
<laughs> I'm a lesbian. I don't really like like kids at all. But if we're going to make the net safe for kids, it's not about making sure they don't see pornography. It's about protecting their data. It's about making sure that children's data isn't harvested in such a way that products are, and algorithms are reinforcing certain, certain kinds of content and behaviors. Um, the other thing that we see in our research that's really important to address is hate group organizing and recruitment. Again, making the net, the net safe for kids would mean that when white supremacists are recruiting in places like Minecraft or Roblox or whatnot, there'd be a much clearer avenue for reporting that and a much better way to do moderation in those spaces where children exist. Um, but again, I know, a little cringy to think about, you know, making the net safe for kids because generally that's thought about as erasing everything fun about the internet. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about data protections and increased transparency so that we at least know who is advertising to us and we know what data they're collecting from us. And if they do purport to serve children, they have very few points of data that they're collecting at all. Okay, okay. I hated that. I thought you for would. multiple reasons. Yeah. Um, besides, you know, I, I had a good laugh. I'm sorry if I blew your ears out. Um, <laughs> but okay. So the, what they're worried about is not children looking at pornography. Why even say that? Why even say that? Yeah, I know. The all? way that she said that was a bit strange. Was that's not even the problem? It's the data collection. Yeah. Is problem, like, but they do want. They want to collect the data. They want to have access to the data, but they don't want others to have access to the data. That that's where uh, the, she's she's heading with that. So it's not that nobody has access to the data. It's that they have access to the da the data and they determine, you yeah. know, what you can and cannot see. Well, I mean, but the 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 way she just so easily and um, what's the word I'm looking for um, cavalierly said that about pornography, which in insinuates that that's that's okay that's not what we're talking about whatever and she said it erases all the fun stuff about the internet like that i guess that pornography i, I, I don't i don't know but yeah you're right the way that she uh, framed all that was not the maybe it's good and for that crowd but not the most endearing yeah she's she's fine with kids seeing porn as long as their data isn't used to give them differing opinions or um i guess selling them uh, plastic gun toys. Right. You can watch porn as long as there's not like a vote for Trump 2024 sign in the back right. back of the room on the wall, something like that. And it has to be interracial. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, it, so the data collection thing is interesting because that's part of the ESG <laughs> agenda there. It, it's it's a full transparency in what you're doing. And we see this on YouTube. You have to check whether or not content is for children and, and they don't want children being exposed to political content that they don't control. They do want them yep. to be exposed to, quote, indirect political content through weird, you know, animated shows, which they do all we yeah. see on Disney all the time. And Disney has a, a you know, their Disney's in that controversy with Ron DeSantis and everything right now. But they the reason they control data is is like it's not because they're really, at least in my opinion, it doesn't seem like because they're really trying to protect kids. It seems like yeah. because they want to know 
what they can deliver kids so they can indoctrinate them to their agenda and prevent yeah. them from leaning the other way. Yeah, let's not forget that these are the people who have kids' ears for eight hours a day every day for oh, yeah. most yeah. of the year. These are people who who control the indoctrination, who control the information kids see. And especially in Florida and a lot of other places, right now parents are fighting back. Mm -hmm. And so this is a different front. They're trying to get ahead of the curve so so parents aren't talking about, oh, well, my my kids only see blah, blah, blah. Like they want to make sure they see what they want them to see, but also that it's yeah. acceptable enough that they don't get called out for it. Absolutely. And we're going to continue this conversation in the DMB XR. We have, I think, one or two more clips from this group. And then we're going to go into another panel hosted by the same guy that is at a what's called a collision conference. And the subject of their talk is disinformation, the digital tower of Babel or Babel depending on whether you're from the U.S. or the U.K., as you helped me understand yesterday. Um, so we will talk to you guys in the DMB XR. We'll continue this conversation, and we'll talk to you next week. Otherwise, thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.